We're going to be in Genesis 43, 44, and 45 today. The sermon will be about three and a half hours long. <laughs> um, we're not going to read every verse as I normally do, but just encourage you to read them all after we talk today. But the Lord said something to me this, during worship today, and I need to be faithful to say it, and I believe it goes along with what David just shared. So if you just give me your attention for a second before you jump in your Bible. Um, the Lord showed me during worship time today that <clears throat> the reason Jesus is so focused on your repentance is because where you sin, willingly, knowingly, holding on to that sin, you breach the relationship with, with Him. And his, He wants you to repent because He wants restoration of relationship. That's what repentance is about. It's not about pointing a finger and blaming you, shaming you, guilting you. It's because when you sin against Jesus, Yeshua, you break the relationship, and He doesn't want the relationship broken. So His entire agenda with your life, because of relationship, is to get you to a place of humility to say, this is the place that I've broken this relationship. And what David shared today is, when the enemy lies to you and you believe it, you choose the relationship with Satan over the relationship with Jesus. And that is why Jesus continuously came and and said to the disciples and said to us as a church, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. But here's what the Lord said to me during worship. When you are in relationship with people on the earth, whether that's a marriage relationship, whether that's a relationship between a, a parent and a child, whatever relationships you have, where you willingly breach that relationship through sin, you're doing the very same thing against God in that relationship. Because God established relationships on the earth to be the picture of a relationship with Him. And so what, I'm, what, I'm, what the Lord said to me was that there may be something in the past that you have not revealed or owned. And because time has passed, you feel like it's resolved. But, still you have an open door to the enemy of God and therefore you have a breach and it's impeding your journey. So I'll give you an example. Jordan and I have been married for almost four or five years, almost five years now. If in that time of the covenant, I made a covenant with my wife. When I married her, it was a covenant. It's the same thing Jesus did when He saved my soul. He made a covenant. If in that time of our relationship maybe the first year, if I was sinful in such a way that adulterous in my heart, not having an affair necessarily in the physical sense, but being addicted to pornography or lusting or having a mental problem with creating things in my mind that are a breach against the covenant I have with my wife, even if I go back to God and say, God, I have done these things, you know about it, I want to be forgiven, and I want to walk away from it. God already knew I had done those things before I did them. So because time, if I don't confess that sin and bring that back to the light, which is confess your sin one to another so that you can be healed, if I don't do that, 
what happens is time passes, and now it's four and a half years in. I committed this, this, this sin in the first year, but now I'm in the fifth year, and I'm thinking, well, time's passed. It's resolved. It's not a big deal. Wrong. You have opened a door for an enemy, and he has legal right to your life and your marriage or any other relationship you've created. And therefore, those places in your life, if you do not bring them to the surface, create rottenness that you may not see even until years down the road. And it's a scary thing I know in relationship. Praise God that's not the case in our marriage. Praise God God has kept our marriage holy. He's kept it in that place. But that doesn't make us good and someone else bad. That's simply the grace of Jesus Christ. What I am saying is that the Lord during worship to me said, if in the past in your covenant relationships, whether that's parent, child, husband, wife, whatever that employer, employee, where you've said, I'm going to work for you and do these things, if you sin in such a way, you're not right with God until you bring it to the light. You're not right with Him until you own it. And that's important because what's happened is you have to go to that place. You have to. You have to want the enemy no more to come into that door. And before Jordan and I were married, thankfully, I went through Genesis moment, and and the Lord really gave me the opportunity to renounce, rebuke, and replace all those places that that He would bring me back. I mean, there were things I had totally blanked out, had not remembered at all, and I would sit with a pen before the Lord, and the Lord would say, Justin, remember, on this day you did this thing, and this is a door the enemy can come through in your life. And I sat with a brother and said, this was a sin that I committed. I renounce it in Jesus' name. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. And I'm closing that door. The enemy no longer has right to my life in that place. And it's ugly. I get it. Ugly only in the flesh because it's beautiful in the spirit. And Jesus loves a humble and contrite heart. So I felt the Lord really wanted me to share that today. If you have breached your relationships, even in times past, you need to go back to your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, whatever employer, whatever your relationship is, and you need to confess it. However, whatever the fallout is, doesn't matter. You need to be faithful because healing only comes through the confession of our sin and owning it. And then you can live without that enemy coming through that door, continuously coming through that door, trying to get you to be wrecked in what you what you're, he's seeking to kill and to destroy, right? So I just wanted to encourage you. So turn to Genesis 43. And now I've been obedient. Thank you, Lord. And uh, this also goes with what Dave shared, (laughs) which is really funny because a week ago I felt like I was supposed to ask Dave to share something today, but God already took care of it. I didn't even have to say anything to you, so praise God. (laughs) Um, The message this morning is called Love Has No Price. Love Has No Price. And... For us as Christians, one of the hardest things that we do is learn how to receive. Uh, if we're, one of the things we do sometimes well is we, we like to give, but sometimes it's not even out of a pure heart. Sometimes it's just we like to give because we get recognition for giving. Or we like to give because we like the good feeling it brings because somebody was blessed by what we gave. Well, God doesn't do that. God has, has, is love, and that's what Dave just read. I am love. And when we understand what love is, as, as a Christian people, we'll understand that it is something only that you can receive and only something that you can use. And so you're the, you're, the, you're the vessel by which God deposits love, uses love, and distributes love. So that's why I love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, greatest commandment. Second one is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. 
So that's the word of God. So in Genesis 43, let's look at Joseph's brothers. Remember, we're talking about Joseph. He's a picture of Jesus Christ. His first ten brothers, his ten older brothers, are a picture of Israel as law under the Ten Commandments, under the Mosaic law, the ceremonial law, the cleansing law. That's a picture of Israel. Joseph is a firstborn to love, so therefore he's a picture of a promise that was given through uh, Jacob and uh, Rachel. And therefore his brother Benjamin is a son of love. So the two brothers are unique. Joseph and Benjamin are unique. The first ten are born out of duty. The last two are born out of love. And so Joseph, being the first son of love, is like Jesus, Yeshua. He's the first son of love. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So that's Jesus. Benjamin is a picture of the generation to come after Jesus by grace. So Benjamin is the brother to Jesus. And what does Hebrews say? You have an elder brother who's entered in the holy place once for all for sin. Jesus is called our elder brother if we're in the body of Christ. He's the elder brother of a Jewish person who believes in Messiah. He's the elder brother of a Gentile person that, that believes in Messiah. We have, there's one bride, one church, and it's, it's made up of people who believe in Yeshua, Jesus, period. That's it. There's not a bunch of churches, there's not a bunch of denominations. We're going to get to heaven and realize there is no name over the gate except the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So we don't, we don't follow it, we don't, we don't take part in that. But in, in, in Genesis 43, the famine was severe in the land, and remember, the brothers had already come once to Joseph, right? And what happened when they left? you guys remember? When they left and opened their sack, what did they find? Their money. And when they went home, what happened when they showed up one short? Right? Jacob was saying, nobody's going back. You're not taking my youngest son back. I've lost Simeon now. I've lost Joseph now. I'm not going to lose Benjamin. Right? So the brothers already went one time. Why did the brothers go to Egypt in the first place? Famine. So what did they need? Food to sustain what? Life. And they brought what to exchange for food? Silver. In Scripture, silver is the picture of redemption. So when you study the temple, and someday we'll probably do a temple study... Notice in the, in the temple, when God erected the very first temple, the tent of meeting, He used silver as a picture of redemption. And He used gold as a picture of holiness in His presence. And so, silver all the way through Scripture represents redemption. It's the price you pay to what? To get back a servant. It's the price you pay to the temple. Why? For for the firstborn of the, of the, of the people. How do you redeem that firstborn? You give silver. Five shekels, right, was the, was the cost of redemption. And so God wanted us to understand, He uses every detail. So silver is a picture of redemption. So you have ten brothers obligated, that were born by law, born out of obligation, go to save their life, and they bring their silver. So picture it. Israel tried to get to God by doing what? Fulfilling the law. They tried to buy their life. Israel was always trying to buy their life. I got to give the right sacrifice. I got to do the right thing. And God only gave them a number, a certain number of commands. They turned it into 616 commands. 
They turned it into tradition. They turned it into you have to do this and you have to do that. And if you sit up on the Sabbath and if you tear toilet paper on the Sabbath and if you do this, these are all the rules and traditions. If you don't wash your hands and if you... And Jesus rebuked them in the Gospels because what were they doing? They were trying to buy their life from God. And that's what these brothers did. They came to Joseph, picture of Jesus, to buy their life. But what did Joseph do? They opened their sacks and they found their silver. Their silver was in their sacks. Why? Because this picture of Jesus gave them life but didn't take their, their money. See, Israel has life today because God gives it life. There's still a nation called Israel because God said they will not depart from before me. Not because they have done the right stuff. Not because they're, they're paying the right price. It's because God is God and made a statement and he does not lie. And he has a purpose for, for them in the earth. And therefore, his purpose prevails. Right? So these brothers try to buy their life. Well, when they go home, they're one brother short. The dad says, you're not taking my youngest son. He's my son of love. They said, then we can't buy any more grain. And so eventually, what happens? They get extremely hungry. Right? And then in chapter 43, the father finally says to them, if it must be so, this is verse 11, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. And take also your brother. Arise, go, with, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant mercy before the man. And may he, may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. And so, here's what happens. 1 John 4.18 says, Perfect love is casting out fear. And a person who fears has not been perfected in love because fear has to do with punishment. Israel today denies Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, because they're afraid of Yahweh. Not knowing that Yahweh is Yeshua. And their afraid of punishment keeps them blind to the fact that their Messiah has already come and is already in glory. So these brothers are afraid because now they have money and they have grain, but they didn't pay for it. And now they're afraid to go back and they're afraid of losing their brother. All this stuff is rooted in fear. And the word for the, from the Lord today, this morning to us, is you're only afraid because you have the wrong perspective of my grace. You're only afraid because you don't understand me. If you understand Yeshua, who he is, you will not fear anything. And I'm guilty. I'm, I'm not saying you. I'm saying we, us. I'm guilty in this place. So fear is not tolerable in the kingdom of God. If you think that you can be afraid, and I'm not talking about fright, like somebody jumps around a corner and scares you, you know, that's not what we're dealing with. What we're talking about is anxiety, worry, the fear that comes upon you because of the cares of the world. What if? What if? If only. What if? What if I had just, if only I had just, you're talking Satan talk. Jesus never said what if. And Jesus never said if only. Jesus said, I am. So that's his life. He's, he's always in the present. He's always present. So the, the brothers attempt to buy their life, but they only receive their life without being able to pay for it, right? They come back a second time because their dad said they could. And get this, they bring a present to Joseph. Look at what, he, what they bring in verse 11. 
Count how many, how many things. Let's count them out. A little balm, that's one. A little honey, two. Gum, three. Myrrh, four. Pistachio nuts, five. And almonds, six. What's the number of man? Six. Six. What are any of these things... Does this remind you of maybe a story about Cain and Abel? What did Cain offer to God that was unacceptable? Produce. Fruit of the ground. What did Abel offer? Meat. Only something God could give blood to. Abel's offering was, was, a, was an acceptable offering. Cain's offering was what? Unacceptable. Israel has been going the way of Cain since the very beginning. And they still go the way of Cain. And because the man, the number of man, God draws it out right here and says, this is man trying to buy their life. This is a religious system trying to buy life. Isn't that cool? God shows us like this very specific thing. Why do you think there's six? Because God's trying to make a point. Why are they this way? Because God is saying, these are the things they're trying to offer and that's not what I asked for. And so, if you look at that, the brothers then, they get to bring Benjamin. So, before when Joseph told them, bring your, bring your um, brother, he never told them to bring more money. He simply wanted what? He wanted the son of love. You know why Jesus was sent to Israel? You know why Israel was sent into the earth? Because God's heart was always that Israel would lead the rest of the earth to God. Benjamin's a picture of us, the bride. We're the Benjamin generation. Because we're the Benjamin generation, we were brought, we were brought to Messiah through Israel. Not any of us in this room came because some Gentile somewhere did a great thing and figured out salvation. Romans 9, read it. It's very clear. The Holy Spirit makes it very clear in Romans 9 that we're only here and blessed because Israel was first called the nation first given the scriptures, first given the prophets, even though in Romans 9 says, Jesus Christ was born through Israel that we might be saved. And says, so God has done all these things. Who are you to say to God and ask him, talk back to God, you're the potter, I'm the clay, but let me explain how things should have went. That's the essence of Romans 9. So you get an understanding here where God said, my church can only come to me through my path. My path was... We came through Israel. When Israel rejected Yeshua, he was then commanded the rest of the people, go on to the Gentiles. Remember Peter's ministry and and John's ministry as they followed out and Jesus had left? They were ministering to the Jewish people. They were ministering to to the Jewish people. God sends a vision to Peter when he's on his roof, right? And says, don't you call unclean what I have made clean. That was referring to the Gentile people. God makes his family clean. And and, and something here you need to to catch, and write this down if you're taking notes, there's only one person who will ever pay for their life, and it's anyone who falls outside the family of Jesus Christ. They will pay because the wages of sin is death. The only payment anyone will ever make for life is with their death, an eternal death, in the pit of hell, because they reject just Jesus as Messiah, and therefore they become destined for wrath. That's their payment. Everyone who believes in Yeshua, Messiah, cannot pay a thing for their life. 
they themselves are the recipient of a payment Jesus made on the cross. Jesus made his payment and bought souls, every soul of all time, of all man, of everyone who will ever be created. He purchased it. It's, it's a done, purchased thing. And all people have to do is believe and be saved. That's it. And how do you believe? Because God grants repentance through kindness. His kindness leads us to repentance. He grants us the faith. So he's looking throughout the earth for people who want to follow his son, Jesus Christ. And his eyes search our hearts. So that salvation is a purchase, a payment. We don't pay. You can't pay. The problem with Christians a lot of times is they come in freely and then think they can start working for what God has for them. That is insane. It's twisted because you are absolutely defeating the purpose of why Jesus went and died and gave you this free gift. Because you're obstructing the way in which he wants to pour out blessing. You're the one running back to your house with a bag full of silver going, Oh, i got to take this back to Jesus. And i got to take twice as much. And i got to work harder for this because I'm sure afraid of what he's going to do to me. Meanwhile, he's saying, have your life and have the silver and have the bread and, and use it to glorify me and grow my family. Grow my family because the ones who will pay with their lives are those who fall outside my family. Jesus is the head of our family. He's the father of lights. And so we have to get this picture that the brothers bring Benjamin just like Israel brought us. And Jesus' request, Joseph's request was just for the life, for love. I want you to understand when Joseph sent the brothers back the first time, remember he was going to keep them all in custody and send one? But it was because of love that he said, no, I'll send nine of you and I'll keep one. Right? So he still loves the brother. You don't, get, don't hear me wrong. The father, Yeshua today, loves Israel. Loves them. Loves them. They deny him. They hate him. They don't want you to talk about Isaiah 53. They don't want you to talk about the New Testament. That's okay to Jesus. He loves them. So don't, don't hear that in a wrong way. He's not have wrath against, because the church screwed that up for a long time, and the church persecuted Jewish people thinking they were doing Jesus a favor. It's so twisted. The, the, the Jewish people are, are hating Jesus thinking they're doing God a favor, and Christians are persecuting Jewish people thinking they're doing Jesus a favor, and they're the same person. They're making God a schizophrenic. Really, they're the mess, right? So it's about, you know, the... It's about us understanding these Israelites, these sons of love. They're the sons of love. And the Bible says, when they come to be aware of who Messiah is, how much greater will it be for the church? So we pray for the revival of Israel because they're just like us, lost people looking for a Savior. And may the God of, of, of Abraham save them from their sin, you know? And so we go on and, and we read about in this chapter 43, they bring the boys in. And they're, they're worried because they have their money. They don't know what to do with it. So they go to the steward of the house. They explain the situation to him. And here's what the steward says in verse 23. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house, given them water, and they had washed their feet, and he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard they should eat bread there. <coughs> Jesus is the picture of the bread of heaven. He said, I am the bread that comes from heaven. Joseph is going to feed them bread. You know when there's a famine in the land? You know what you're really craving? Bread. They had pistachios and almonds, obviously, gum and, and honey and balm. They were like, we just need some grain. 
I mean, if any of you guys have fasted for a while, bread is like one of the things that you're just like, you smell some bread after fasting, and you're like, oh, come on now. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to Texas Roadhouse for some rolls, I'm telling you what. Right? Your body loves that, right? Why? Because even in the natural, we're designed for that craving so that we see that Jesus is our bread. Jesus said that. He said, I got food you guys don't know about. And so he, they know they're going to eat this bread, and they're excited about it. But as Joseph comes in, you know, they fall down before him. He's asking about their father and, and asking him. And then the, they see there his brother Benjamin there, his mother's son. And verse 30 says, Joseph hurried out for his compassion grew warm for his brother. This is Joseph, for Benjamin. And he sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber and wept there. He watched his face came out and controlling himself, he said, Now, I want you to understand, Joseph is speaking in Egyptian. So everything he says the brothers are not understanding. There's always an interpreter between them. And Scripture tells us that before. But he says, serve the food. So they serve Joseph by himself. And then they serve themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with them, they are served in another place. Because they can't eat with the Hebrews. It's an abomination to the Egyptians. <laughs> Which is funny. Because the Hebrews were the ones who were instructed to be clean, set apart, not to mix and mingle. <laughs> and the Egyptians are like, we don't want anything to do with these sheep, sheep shearing people. Because Egyptians were clean cut, shaved heads, shaved faces, and the Hebrews were hair everywhere and beards, you know, and then so there was a cleanliness thing. And anyway, and they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth, and the men looked at one another in amazement. Because Joseph sat them down at the table from Reuben, Simeon, Levi, right down the path, boom, 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 until Benjamin. And they looked at each other like, we're sitting in the order of our birthright. Right? And so Jesus has established that we, that we also are in the order of our birthright. Which is, this is exciting to me. Israel was established when Abraham was called. Israel has always been a part of what's going on. But God prophesied that Israel in the last days would be brought back to their nation, to their land. It happened in 1948. He said that Jerusalem would be the capital. It happened in 1967. Never before 1948 or 1967 could it be said that Jesus could return at any time. It couldn't be done because prophecy said these things have to take place. But now we live in a generation, the Benjamin generation, we're in the birthright of all the things that needed to take place. We are now being brought on the scene as Benjamin, son of love, the church, the bride, because Jesus Christ is coming back soon. So those prophecies that are fulfilled are pictures to us. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Remain awake because there's ten virgins, right? Five are wise, but five are fools. Five go into the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where's that? The master's table. Look what happens here. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. Portions will be taken to you from Jesus' table. Psalm 23 says what? He sets a table in the presence of my enemies. Right at your worst moment, right at your biggest trial, you know where you should be? Sitting down to dinner with Jesus so your enemies can watch you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And eat. You're not stressed. You're just cutting your steak and eating your steak. If you're a vegetarian, you're cutting your tomato. Whatever. <laughs> I say steak. Someone says tomato. But you see what I'm saying? You have a, a trial going on? Sit down at the table with Jesus because He's got a portion for you from His table. That's what he's saying to Israel and to Benjamin, to all of them. And, but, but look what happens. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. 
and they drank and were merry with him. Five is the number of grace in Scripture. We've talked about it. Psalm 103. Here's, here's an interesting fact for you. And these are just a few things. In the very beginning, God spoke that there would be light in the verse Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Five times He said the word light. And once He said the word light, the fifth time, the next one was evening and morning. Because who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. So five, the number of... How many letters are in the word Jesus? Five. How many letters are in the word Spirit? Five. And so there's this five that runs all the way through Scripture. I'll I'll give you a few more. We're created in the image of God. We have five fingers on each hand. We have five toes on each foot. The fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet is Dalit. That fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet means broken humanity. So look at your hand, and if you lost your thumb... Your, your hand is far less useful, right? But the word hey, the, the letter hey, which is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, adds a yod to the dalet. And the yod is what's used in aleph. Aleph means God. God sends the yod to the dalet and gives you hey, which is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the letter he put in Abram's name and the letter he put in Sarah's name because he wanted them to be called Abraham and Sarah. Because his breath through hay, grace, grace made Abraham who he is, grace made Sarah who she was. They're the father and mother of our faith. Therefore, God says grace into your life, grace into your name, grace into what you're going to do, because it's my grace that will accomplish all the things that will ever happen. And Israel misses it because the father of their faith has grace driven into the middle of his, the very center of his name, grace. God moves on him, and then they think they can do it on their own. Christians have Jesus put right in the center of our lives. And then we think we got to work for anything in this kingdom. And don't hear me. I'm not talking about being disobedient. I'm not talking about being unfaithful. I'm talking about working for salvation. It's impossible. Working for favor with God. It's impossible. So, portions from the master's table, five times greater. Also, five wise virgins. That's a picture of grace, right? In the temple, if you will look at the temple, there are fives all over the place. And multiples of fives, 50. 50, what is that? 10 times 5. If you look at the places in the temple where you got the outer court, which is the Gentile court, the, and then the next outer court, then the inner court, then the holy place, then the most holy place, you got five places that you can go through. If you look at the articles in the temple, there's five of them. If you look at your own body, you have a heart, a soul, a mind, you have a, a body, and you have a spirit. You're made up of five components that God wants complete access to. You know, so you look through creation. How many flowers have five petals? How many trees have five leaves growing out of one's place? God just marks everything with this grace that he has, right? The very middle, middle of the Bible, the very middle verse of the scriptures is Psalm 103, 1 and 2. You know what it says? Forget not his benefits. And he lists five benefits of who he is. So you want to see the center of what he said? Look at what the center is, and he says grace. Then, if you want to go to the center verse, or excuse me, center chapter of the scriptures, you go to Psalm 117. And Psalm 117 is one of the shortest chapters, and you know what it says? All the nations praise the Lord, for he is gracious and merciful to us. He's like, the center of it all is my grace and my love and my compassion for you people. And you're missing it because you're trying to work for something you can't get to. 
That's the whole point. And so grace brings intoxication with the master. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not be drunk with wine, but be intoxicated or be filled. Be drunk with the Holy Spirit of the living God. Here's this picture in Genesis 43 in this verse. He says, As they took a portion from the master's table, they began to drink and were merry with him. Is God telling you to go drink and be merry with your brothers on earth? No. He's giving us a picture of what it's like to receive the grace of Jesus Christ far surpasses even being drunk on an alcoholic beverage. To be filled up with that Holy Spirit. To be drunk in the Spirit. And so we go on and we look in chapter 44 and it says this, When the morning, so he commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, put each man's money back in the mouth of his sack. So now they got twice as much money in their sacks. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And this is this is cool. He said, And he did as Joseph told him, as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city, and Joseph said to his steward, Up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? And by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. Joseph's a picture of Jesus. And we're not talking about the, the details of what Joseph did here, but we're talking about the picture of why this points to Christ. There's a cup that Jesus drank from that we could not drink from. And it was the cup of redemption because he swallowed the wrath of God. So Joseph takes this silver cup, and whose bag does he put it in? Benjamin's. Who's, and Benjamin is who? Son of love. The brother, true brother of Jesus. You and I are the true brother of Jesus because Jesus put his cup in our bags. And this scripture says this, when he overtook them, he spoke to them, and here's what was going to happen. He said, Behold, the money that we found in the mouth of the sacks brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then shall we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever of your servants is found with it shall die, and we also be my Lord's. And he said, Let it be as you said. He who is fa- here's, here's the penalty for the, the cup. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Do you know what we are called in the body of Christ? Bond servants. Why? Because we got the cup of redemption from our Messiah. See, being a servant to Joseph was not going to be a bad thing. Being a servant to Joseph was being accepted into the kingdom by the number two guy. Being a servant to Jesus is not a bad thing. It's the greatest thing you could ever do. That's why we're called bond servants, because we don't want to be set free from Jesus. See, a servant that wanted freedom from somebody could get their freedom every seven years. But a bond servant had the opportunity at the end of the seventh year to say to their master, I know I'm free but I want to stay with you. Jesus has given us the cup of redemption because we are free to say, I want to stay with you. What a beautiful thing. God put it right here in the scriptures saying, this Benjamin generation will be a generation of servants to me, which means you will accomplish all of my purposes and plans. You will will have the plenty of my kingdom. He has enough in his kingdom. Remember we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that he had enough portion for five times as much in that one portion. That's what God's giving you right now, today, over all of you. God's saying, I got a five times portion if you're willing to receive it. I got a five times portion, not, not just squibbling by, getting by by the skinny of your teeth, trying to buy your life. He's saying, let it all go and let me pour out a five time portion on your life. And I say, yes, Lord, I receive it in Jesus' name. I receive it in Jesus' name. Because why? I'm a Benjamin. 
I'm a son of love. I'm a son of the King. I'm a brother to Jesus Christ. Every bit of God's divine favor is aimed at me because Jesus lives in me. And He's aimed at you because Jesus lives in you. That's the benefit of being a servant in this house. And so, the cup of the Master, it takes the brothers, Israel, I want you to see this, it takes them into a new place. Because they swore to their dad, we will bring him back. We will bring him back. Guess what? There's a lot of people who don't want Christians to be Christians. They want to bring them back to the right way of thinking. But you can't take Jesus out of a Christian who's really a Christian. We aren't convertible. We're hardtops, right? We're in for good. We don't, we aren't, you can't convert a real person. Why? Because the Spirit of Messiah can't deny the Spirit of Messiah. So there's no converting a Christian to another religion. If you convert a Christian to another religion, they never were a Christian to begin with. Can't convert Christ. He's done. It's finished. He said it on the cross. It's finished. This is the work. So Israel likes to bring people back out. Every religion likes to bring people back out. And so this takes these brothers into a new place where they're saying, man, we got to do something. Reuben steps up as the eldest and he makes a statement for all of the brothers saying, let me be the one. He sacrifices himself for what? Love. Reuben finally gets it that he can't let his dad perish without a son. And it's love breaks forth because Reuben says, don't take the boy. I've given my oath. I've given my life. And my dad could not live it. You could not, I could not handle the evil that will befall my dad. All of a sudden, love breaks out of Reuben's life. And he says, sacrifice me and let the boy go. Let me tell you what's going to happen in the last days. Israel is going to repent. And they are going to come to a place of love. They're going to come to a place where Yeshua is the Messiah and He always has been and they will recognize it and love will birth out of them for the church, for the bride, for the body of Christ. It's already starting to happen. That's what's so beautiful. Christians United for Israel There's a, is an organization John Hagee's a part of and, and I think he formed it. And, and it's for the first time where the Jewish people who are hard-nosed Jewish people recognize that there are Christians that love them. They're not so opposed. They've invited these people in. CUFI is invited into Israel to do the things that are just Jesus-loving people. Right? Because for so long, we were so terrible toward Israel. We were terrible toward them. Burning them. The Catholic Church burned thousands of Jewish people. We did so many atrocities to these people. So, you know, to walk up to a, a truly Jewish Israelite person and just be like, Jesus loves you, they'd be like, yeah, let me show you. Look at history. This is the love of Jesus. And we've been a horrible example of that. But that doesn't mean Jesus is a bad example. It means we're bad examples. Jesus is loving on them. And so this repentance and sacrifice that Reuben breaks out into, look at chapter 45. This is the response when Reuben comes into a place of love. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him. And Joseph made himself known to his brothers. You are seeing right here in Genesis 45, you're seeing the union of Israel and the bride. Because Jesus is going to come to a place, it is just going to birth out of him, and he's going to reveal himself to Israel. And that's what's happening. To this point, they have no clue that this is their elder brother, or their, not their, it's their younger brother. They have no idea. So, Jesus, so Joseph reveals himself, 
He weep, he's weeping aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. This dude was whooping. With birth, this is the love that he's had for these boys. He's had this love. Jesus has that love for Israel today. For every lost soul, Jesus has that love. For Gentile and Jew alike, the love of Christ is so impossible for us as humans to understand. But we get small glimpses of it. It erupts out of him. He's wailing, and Joseph says, to him, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Like, what is happening? So Joseph says to his brothers, Come near to me, please. They came near, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. That's what Jesus is. He was sent as a forerunner for what? The first fruits of the resurrection of the dead so that we know that there is life beyond what this life is. He's the author of eternal life. So he's the forerunner. God sent him ahead. For the famine has been in the land these two years. There are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve a remnant on earth. And to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all this house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty." And now your eyes see, the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So he's speaking in Hebrew. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And I want you to see yourself in that moment embracing Jesus Christ. That's you embracing the one who loves you with an undying, unmerited, perfect love. That's the moment you step out of this planet and you step into the real kingdom. He will be weeping on your neck. You'll be weeping on his neck. Psalm says, he rejoices in the death of his saints. We lose somebody who who knows Messiah. He rejoices. He's like, yeah, Dave's coming home. Not Dave, Dave, here. Whoever. (laughs) Bill, not Bill. Pick another name. (laughs) Be no early deaths in this kingdom. And so, you know, he kisses all of his brothers and he weeps on all of them. And all of his brothers, they talk with him. And then the report goes to Pharaoh's house. Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And they were given the best of the land. Goshen was the best of the land that was possible, even for Egypt. And that's what God has in store for you. That's what Jesus gives to us, is this grace life. Here's the deal. Grace, the grace of Jesus, started flowing the moment His blood hit the dirt in Jerusalem. That grace for us was flowing, our healing was made in His stripes, our salvation was made in His death and the forgiveness of our sin. And so that flow of of Jesus' grace never stops. So you have to get that. What Dave said earlier, the lie of the devil is this. You're messed up and you just stepped outside the flow of God's grace. Your sin is this. You agree with that lie and you step outside the flow of God's grace. The flow doesn't stop. See, we get screwed up. We get confused because we think, oh man, I messed that up today, so where's the grace of God? The Bible says that when sin abounds, grace superabounds. That means when you're screwing up, God's pouring out more in that moment for you to get through what you're going through. 
That's the beauty of grace. And he says, receive it freely and then give it freely. You know where I've been so guilty this week and God's highlighted it to me and we shared a little bit Thursday night and Dave and I had an exchange up here working. I have not been responding in grace. Here I am, I'm talking about grace, saturating in grace, learning about grace, and then something happens, and bah! I speak right out of flesh. Ugly, pride, disgusting. That doesn't mean God's like, oh, squeeze up that grace, Justin, he's, he's messed up right now. No, it's like, oh, let me pour out more, I'm going to pour out more. Justin, receive that, don't let, it, don't let the enemy come in like a flood, but I'm going to raise up a standard when the enemy comes in like a flood. So get in the flow of grace. That's Jesus. And I'm, I'm the one that could be guilty of like, man, I really screwed that up. Where's the presence of God? Oh, I better fast for three days and work for it. Yeah, Dave. And what came through it, what came through it, uh, when we're squeezed, is when we find out what we're made of. Amen. So I got squeezed. And if I responded in that, what I read, if I responded in that guy's mindset, our brother had been devastated. Mm. But instead, when I got squeezed, Yeah. We grew out of it. Amen. Our friendship now, our brother and now is ten times you know, a thousand times more than it would have been twenty four hours before that day. So God squeezed me and I got to see what came out. And uh today had church with it after Amen. See that's transparency. We share with one another because everybody's messed up. And the only way to get free from being messed up is to admit it. So, you know, grace is at, is love at work and it cannot be purchased. If you want to know what grace is, it's Jesus' love at work in your life. That's grace. And His love is always at work. Jesus never stops. Does He grow tired or weary? Does He lay down? Does He take a nap? No. He's constantly on it, loving us and pouring out His grace. All we have to do is remain in it. Receive it. See, we're the ones that are like, God's like, here's a five-fold portion for you, Sammy. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really worthy to receive five times as much as, as Bill over here or whatever. Wrong! You're worthy to receive what Christ says you're worthy to receive. So receive it with gratitude and thanksgiving so that thanksgiving can be multiplied to God. I hope everybody in here has a tenfold increase in their finances. Why? Because the kingdom of God will have a tenfold increase in tithes. <laughs> and, I'm, and I don't it's not for me when I say that I'm not about I'm talking we need to move the kingdom of God and it takes dollar bills to do it I want a tenfold increase so I can pour a tenfold increase into the kingdom of God or an elevenfold try to outgive God and watch what he does to you you can't do it Don said it this week he's like keep trying to outgive him he just keeps showing up you know <laughs> this just won't happen so I want you to last thing when we're going to have communion together in Mark 4 the Bible talks about a lamp under a basket. And in Jesus, these are Jesus' words. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? So it's like, oh, we got this lamp, but uh, we don't really want anybody to see it. You know, That's not what lamps are for. Lamps are for shining, right? What, what do we need to see? Jesus is saying, you don't, you don't hide it. He says it's not on a sand. For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That very first word I shared with you, if you have made a breach in your life and you allow the enemy to keep coming through, 
It's in the secret right now, but it needs to come to the light so that you can shine. See, the enemy has a way of dimming down the light because you have a breach and he can come in and keeps coming in and keeps coming in and dimming down the light. Here's what he's saying. Nor is anything secret except to come to the light. It's a secret, but bring it to the light. How do you do it? Confess it. Make it known. And then when it's in the light, what happens? Healed. And look what it says. Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a principle here that applies in both directions. What Jesus is saying is if you think you have grace, you're getting more. And if you say you have grace, you're going to have more. If you say you have peace, you're going to have more. If you say you have joy, you're going to have more. Because it's whatever we say. Look at Matthew. Look at what he said in Matthew. He said, whatever you say, he says it three times, that shall you have. But here's the other truth. Even what he has, if he, the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you're a person who likes to agree with the enemy and say, well, I, I don't have this, that means you, did, you lost that, plus you're going to lose stuff you already have. So you live in a what-if world, in an if-not, you know, what-if world, in an if-only world. Every time that comes out of your mouth, well, I don't have any friends. Well, now you don't have any friends, plus the ones you have are going to be taken away. Why? Because you just opened a breach for the enemy to come in like a flood and take out what you already have. You're speaking death in your life. And so where God's trying to get us to a place is be a people that confess with our mouths Jesus the Lord, who is what? The Prince of Peace, the King of Glory, the one who will always provide every time. He is totally sufficient to provide for you. Bill prayed it in the very beginning. He is our provider, not our family, not our job, not our bank accounts. Nothing is our provider but Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, why do we profess with our mouth, well, I wish I had this. Well, you just admitted you don't have it, so now it's gone. And something you have is going to be taken away. It is a very important principle. And you look through Jesus' life and see if one time He ever said, what if? Or He ever said, I don't have this. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter without opening His mouth. Because He understood, this is why I came. And the Scripture is riddled with things that say, do not fear the fiery trials that you enjoy. Consider it all joy, the fiery trials that you have. There will be trouble in the world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So guess what? Next time you're in trouble, quote Scripture and say, in this world there will be trouble, but I'm taking heart, Jesus, because you said you overcame that. And you just upside down the kingdom of darkness to try to take away, but instead of, sometimes what we do is, I'm in this fiery trial, I'm in this tough spot, I don't have any way of getting out here. And Jesus is like, well, now you don't, because you just spoke that you don't have, so therefore, you just lost the way out, plus you're going to lose some more. Get it? It is so important to get this principle, because grace is sufficient. It's something Jesus pours out in a constant stream from heaven, and all He wants is for His sons and daughters, get in my stream. Get in my stream. Because in the stream of peace, is a, or in the stream of grace, is peace. Contentment. Like Bill said the other day, we were having lunch. He's like, I'm getting to the point where I don't even care. And I was like, well, you're maturing in faith then. 
Because there comes a point, I'm not saying don't care so you're stupid and frivolous, and I'm not, I'm not going there. What I'm saying is it's not occupying so much of your time and energy that you're missing out on the very important part of just Jesus. Jesus is sufficient, you know? And that'll help you from clouding up your thoughts too. You know, speak what you have, Johnny. Don't speak what you don't have. Speak what you have, and you'll have more. So God's just saying, hey, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for you to open your mouth and agree with me. What a cool dad. Right? That's our daddy. That's Abba. And so let's take communion today. Uh, I want to talk about communion just for a minute. Don, you want to... It's back there on the... We're going to do it a little different today. Don and I got together on Friday and we just talked about... It's really important for us to discern the body of Christ. Um which is found in the broken bread, and it's important for us to discern the blood of Jesus Christ, which is found in the cup that we take. So we're going to separate them today so that we can meditate on that in a, in a greater way. So we're first going to pass out the, the matzah bread, which is a Jewish word that means... Does anybody know what it means? Anyway, it means in the grocery store that it's unleavened. Yeah, it's unleavened bread because Jesus had no sin. It's also pierced with little holes because Jesus was pierced for our transgression. It also has stripes because Jesus was whipped and beaten for our healing. So we discern the body of Christ for the purpose of understanding what Jesus has done to us. Now, communion is never to be taken by somebody who's in knowing sin. Because if you partake in the communion with Jesus, this is a moment where you're saying, Jesus and I are in right standing and a right relationship. But if you have things in your life that you've not dealt with, and you take this because you're trying to save face maybe in the, in the body or whatever, you eat judgment upon yourself. You eat and drink judgment upon yourself because you're acknowledging, well, I'm going to do it so other people can see me, and you're trying to work for something where Jesus is saying, you got issues and you need to deal with those issues. And so it's never a bad thing to not take it, it's just a bad thing if you take it with the wrong heart. And so, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, He took bread. When He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we just want to pray right now, God, and acknowledge that though this is a, a wafer, that we hold in our hand. It represents your very body. That body that in Jerusalem on that day was completely destroyed by the cat of nine tails. That in that destruction, those, those stripes that you receive that we see on this bread, those stripes, Lord, provided us healing. You were broken so we don't have to be broken. The, Isaiah 53 says that because of your chastisement, we have been made whole. We have shalom by your body. And though you were beaten, though you were scourged, though you shed your blood, though you were mocked, your body still carried your cross most of the way to the place of your crucifixion. We acknowledge, Jesus, that this body that we eat right now and we crush with our own teeth every bite we take is an acknowledgement that we are associating ourselves with your death. That not just as you died, as 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 the Holy Spirit inspired Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. 
So Lord, as this bread goes in me, may it be the same. Your Spirit is in me. Your Spirit alive in me, as this bread gives me nutrients and this bread gives me a a delicious taste, God, as it goes in me, so is your life in me. So I've been crucified with you, Jesus, and I no longer live, but the life I now live, I live according to faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me. That is our confession right now, Lord. So we confess it because Mark 4 says what we confess, what we have, we have Jesus, says we'll have more. So that's our cry today, Lord. We want more of your spirit, more of your your infused life, more of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, more fruit of your spirit. And God, when that body that laid in that tomb was laying there dead and your soul was in Hades, Lord, still, in a moment, in the breath of God, entered your body, every wound was healed. Instantaneously, your eyes opened, your lungs filled with air, your mouth filled with praise, your, your, your hands raised up, you removed the linen shroud from your face, you folded up your garments in that tomb, you resurrected just as we are resurrected now in Jesus' name. That is our healing. Let a healing break forth now, Jesus. We take this communion not just for the, the symbolism, we take it because it heals us, God. Healing of the infirmities in this room where the guts, Lord, where there's, a, there's GI tracts, Lord, to be healed. There's, there's bones to be healed. There's muscles to be healed. There's inflammation to be destroyed, God. There's, there's, there's wrong cells in bodies that need to be eradicated in Jesus' name. There's bad eating habits that need to go in Jesus' name. Health, Lord, health for your kingdom, health for your, for your bride. That is what we proclaim through this body. We acknowledge it. So do this in remembrance of Him. Take part. going to pass out the cup because after supper Jesus had taken the cup and he said this is the cup this cup it is the new covenant in my blood and do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. The blood of Jesus, as this cup represents, is our forgiveness of sin. That without taking blood, without death, there is no covenant. There is no new covenant. And so this death, this blood is again a picture of us saying your death forgives my sin but it requires my death 
as well. Our flesh has to die. We're acknowledging the crucifixion with Christ. Flesh dies, so the Spirit has life. And that's what we're doing when we take this cup. We're saying, Lord, I've cut a covenant with you, and this blood is your blood, but it's in my body, and therefore my body, my flesh, is also perishing, so that we can be made whole. We can be made right. So if you have no sin in your life, and you've confessed those sins, partake in this and do it in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we declare that You are Jesus. We declare that You are the One who died for the sin of the world, and You are the One who has defeated the power of darkness, sin, and death. And so today we live, Lord, we live an abundant life because You live to make intercession for us. And You are coming again on a day yet to be determined. And when You come, the sky will split, and You will come with white hair like a wool, with fire in Your eyes. You will ride in on a white horse with a name written on you that no one knows but you yourself. You will have a name written on your thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And out of your mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword with your feet that are covered in burnished bronze. You ride at the host. You ride at the head. You ride with an army following you. All on white horses, Lord. So we who are dead in Christ are raised with Christ that we would live forever. We will make war Lord, with you, and we will watch the sword of your mouth go out against Gog and Magog and destroy every enemy that raises itself against Jesus Christ. You will live on this planet. You will have your reign. You will come in power and in might and restore all things the way they were supposed to be restored, where the lion will lay with the lamb, where the child will play with the adder. That, Lord, we know that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and we make that declaration today, Jesus, because we love you, we praise you, and we thank you that your spirit is alive in us. We honor you, Jesus. We worship you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for healing. I know that healing broke out here today, God, even through the confessions as we began, even through the prayers, that there's breakthrough through what was shared. We just rejoice in it, God, and we ask for more. We say we had great grace here this morning, Lord, but we say it because we believe there's more. We say it because it's not that we're unsatisfied and ungrateful for what is here and now, but we know that you're infinite. And therefore, we call out and cry out as one looking for silver, saying, God, we want the more. We want the more. We want it to be so powerful and so effective that we say nothing and your spirit wrecks people's lives in this very room so that they forever are changed and they are forever drawn into an intimacy with you to know and to see and to taste that our Lord is good. You are good in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a meal up at the house. You guys are all welcome.